Hello, friends, and welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's conversation is with Melissa Brown, who is an assistant professor of social work at Cedarville University. Listen as Mark and Melissa discuss caring for others, her journey to Cedarville, and the many opportunities the Lord has given her. Today in the program, I'm talking with Melissa Brown, a professor in the Department of Social Work at the university. Melissa graduated with a degree in social work from Cedarville in 2008, then added a master's degree in social work from Ohio State University. Melissa, as you will soon discover, is a very busy person as she juggles her faculty role at Cedarville with positions with Crossroad Hospice and Dayton Children's Hospital. But that's not all. She's a wife and a mother of three children, and she is currently fostering another, another child. We'll get into these aspects of her life in the podcast, but for now, let me welcome Melissa Brown to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. It's great to have you in studio, Melissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. There's so much that I want to talk with you about, Melissa, including the importance of social work. But I want to begin today's conversation by hearing your story of how you found your way as a student ultimately to Cedarville University. Yeah, uh, I grew up in the southwest suburbs of Chicago and our pastor at our home church is a Cedarville alum and he often spoke about his time at Cedarville that inspired other young people at the church to come to Cedarville. My oldest sister came to Cedarville, then my second sister came to Cedarville and ultimately I joined the crew here too. And uh, all three of the, of the siblings had a great experience, I assume. We did. We all still, even today, talk about favorite memories associated with Cedarville. I have a younger brother. He chose to go somewhere else. But when we get together at holidays and we talk about memories, they'll ask us, so-and-so still teaching or, um, you know, we just reminisce about chapel speakers. And we all had a fantastic experience at Cedarville. I'm not surprised. I hear that all the time. But as I was beginning to prepare for today's conversation, I talked with our colleagues, um, to learn more about you, Melissa. Typically, I like to talk to the guest beforehand. That way I get a flavor of, of, you know, what the person is about and what they like to do. But our schedules didn't align for that to happen. So in my conversation with one of our colleagues, what I learned about you is your love of donuts. Oh, yes. (laughs) So my first question is, do you have a favorite donut? Is it cream or jelly-filled, cinnamon swirl, maybe apple fritter? What's, What's your favorite? That might be the hardest question yet today. I love a good Bismarck donut. I love a strawberry frosted donut with sprinkles. I'm not a discriminator of donuts, but I would say you can never go wrong with a Bismarck or a strawberry with sprinkles. Okay. Well, I'll, you need to bring some of these donuts uh, to the marketing <laughs> division and share some of your favorites with I'll us. keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. So, Melissa, as a follow-up uh, from your lifelong enjoyment of donuts, who makes the best donut? Well, they're all good for different reasons. Oh, that's a hard question, Mark. Maybe the hardest one you'll ask me today. I would say probably my favorite donuts would be my little sister's back in Oswego in my hometown. Mm -hmm. Jeffrey's Donuts at Disney World at Magic Kingdom are very, very good. And I just recently had one, actually. And then Schuler's and then probably Dunkin' Donuts. What sets them apart? Well, Schuler's are incredibly sweet. And they also make a Funfetti donut, which very few people have. Jeffrey's in Disney World is really good because they're really big and they're very soft. My little sisters, you just have to try one. Maybe next time I go home, I'll bring yeah, one to bring you. bring some back to us. And Dunkin' is really good because they're reliable. You can go to any 
any bakery right. and they taste the same. And they're also very accessible because you can find a Dunkin' Donuts right. pretty much anywhere. I also learned that despite the professional demeanor that you typically portray, you also like to have fun and play jokes on colleagues. And that's great because, you know, we all need to have some lighthearted moments in our lives. And for those who know me know that I like to have fun too with people. So, but there's one, one uh, joke that um, I heard about specifically is the time when you placed some ceramic cats. The cat nativity. In, yes. The cat nativity in, in Professor George Huff's office. What's the backstory to that gag? <laughs> well, Professor Huff, he worked in ch uh, child welfare for 25 years. And as a result of the home visits, he does not like cats. And I won't go into the backstory about that, but he does not like cats. And so each year, usually around Christmas time, yeah. something cat related will find its way to his office. So this past year was a ceramic cat nativity that was strategically placed around his computer. Last year, there was a Santa paws, a stocking hung from his door. There's just a variety of, of cat items that do find their way to his office. I am an animal lover and he is not. And so we joke about that lovingly pretty often. Now he said he's going to throw those uh, cats away, right? He said he would, but I've since tracked them down. Where are they? They're in his desk drawer. I've been having fun uh, with uh, Melissa Brown in the opening moments of the podcast, but I want to uh, pivot in our conversation to your relationship with your colleague, specifically George Huff. Um, You've known George for several years. In fact, he was your former professor in college in social work. What is it like for you to bridge the gap from being a former student to now being a colleague with George, a person who I know you respect greatly? Yeah, I, I do respect him. That word doesn't even seem to do it justice. It was wonderful. I, I admire his work in our profession. I admire how he handles complicated situations. He's very wise in how he handles a variety of circumstances. And in many ways, I still feel like his student in the sense that I'm learning from him every day. Yeah. And that's just been one of the greatest joys of my professional career to call him a colleague. Yeah. Is it weird or was it weird when you actually first joined the faculty, now you're our colleague of him, to know that you were saw him as a student or a professor before that? I think maybe not awkward as much as I, I think so highly of him. I just, I was just so eager to please him in either decisions or what I, what I wanted to do. I wanted him to know that I valued his opinion and I wanted to learn from him. So again, I don't know that I'd use the word awkward as much as I just, I was nervous of making a lot of mistakes or saying something wrong um, but if you know Professor Huff or have interacted with him, you know, he's so gracious and kind that even if I did make a mistake or say something wrong, he would be very gracious and very forgiving and would turn that into a teachable moment for me. <laughs> That's George Huff. For yes. Uh -huh. That's him. Melissa, the social work profession may be one of the most challenging and rewarding careers a person can have because of the emotional component that goes with uh, social work. Can you recall a situation, without giving names, uh, when the toll of hearing the issues of children and adults became very difficult for you to manage or hear? Mm. You know, I, I was once a part of a, a group in which social workers were asked, who is the patient you'll never forget? 
And I've had a variety of those throughout the years in my career, but there is one that I I do remember very vividly. And I often wonder what has since happened with that case. And a child had been brought in with the reports that he had been having seizures But after further medical evaluation, it was determined that that was likely not the case. And his very significant injuries were the result of likely very uh, traumatic abuse. And that child ended up dying. And that was very, that was very hard for me because after the doctor told me what likely had occurred, I saw the family outside praying and asking the Lord to give answers. And I felt so conflicted. And the verse that came to mind was Proverbs 15, 3, which is the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch over the evil and the good. And while they were praying to the Lord and I was praying to the Lord, I rested in the fact that he did know exactly what happened to that child. And I may never know, but the Lord knows. And that was, that's probably one of the top three most memorable cases for me, just because of the emotional turmoil of how can a situation like this unfold of people coming here and praying and asking the Lord to intervene for a medical emergency when the doctor is sitting here saying this child has essentially been beaten to death. And that was really, really hard for me. Yeah. So you said you were conflicted. What, Mm -hmm. what was going on that made it that for you? I think many times when we hear of child abuse and people who inflict abuse, we think of almost this animalistic individual who has no self-control, who has, no regard for the life of a child. But here was someone that even shared with me their testimony. And again, not sharing a lot of details through them sharing the story of the timeline of their time with that child. I knew the only people with access to that child were these parents. And it was likely one of them. So because they were a believer or professed to be a believer, that's Mm -hmm. where the conflict was. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't living uh, as under the Lord. Yeah, and and all of our biases come to the forefront of what you think an abuser looks like, right. how they act, right. how they behave. To see someone looking like me, dressing like me, yeah. speaking like me, was very hard, mm. and it was humbling to to know that that could be. What if that was me? You know, I I am not immune to sinful patterns in my life either. And it was very complicated because a prayer that I would say is the same thing that they were saying. And in my mind, I was conflicted with, well, what is the truth? Do we misunderstand this? Has there been, um, has there been a misunderstanding or a misdiagnosis? And it was very, very difficult. That's understandable. So let's, let's take this a little further. So you're, you're in this situation, so you know what's happened for the most part. Um, and it's very difficult for you to, to, to get your mind around it. So how do you protect yourself from knowing that so that that doesn't penetrate your life and, and cause you issues personally, spiritually? 
That's a great question. And that is something that we spend a lot of time teaching our students. And I wish I could say that it's a simple step process that once you do these two or three things, it doesn't bother you. But I need to be honest and say sometimes they do. I'm very quiet that day. I might have a harder time sleeping. I might think about that case quite a bit that day. But I actually go back to the verse that I shared a little earlier that in that moment I thought of Proverbs 15.3. And that is a verse that I go back to often. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch over the evil and the good. And I rest in the fact that I am not the final authority. I am not the, the sole person doing an investigation. There's a whole team of people in the community that will work on this. But ultimately, I have to leave it with the Lord that he knows, he sees, and I have to accept that it's not on me. I want to take a break from my conversation on the podcast so I can tell you about Cedarville University's Transform Tour that is coming to a city near you. The Transform Tour would travel 10,000 miles over 26 days to achieve one goal, that being to proclaim the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're scheduled to be in 13 cities, including Grand Rapids, Michigan, Chicago, Denver, Houston, Tampa, and Washington, D.C., to name a few. To learn more about the Transform Tour, visit cedarville.edu slash transformtour. The event is free, but registration is required, so reserve your place today by visiting cedarville.edu slash transformtour. We are looking forward to seeing you during the Transform Tour. Now here's the rest of today's Cedarville Stories podcast. So I'm talking with Melissa Brown from Cedarville's Department of Social Work. Let me talk about... um, a positive story um, that I have come to know, and it came from you, and it's from one of your former students, Leah Harper, uh, who currently is serving Ukrainian refugees in Romania. As a professor, when you see your students representing Jesus in the way that Leah is doing today in a very tangible way, what does this say to you about your students in general and the importance of the social work profession? One of the things about social work is the highly transferable skills that can be used with individuals anytime and anywhere. And that is why we love our BSW program because it prepares students at the generalist level. They're equipped with skills to work with anyone. So Leah might be working with someone around the world in Romania that's from Ukraine but we may have a student trained with the same skills working with someone in Xenia, Ohio, and it's the same skills. And that speaks to the skills of our profession. It also speaks to even the unity of God and how he, he did create us with different gifts and abilities, but there are a limit of gifts and abilities and human Human beings have a lot of similarities, regardless of what they look like or where they live. And social work is a great way to prepare you to use those skills. And again, going back to Leah, she has a front row seat to do that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that she, she right now, as we record, is in Romania helping those Ukrainians flee a war-torn country. And um, her story is really... Is really um, resonated with me as as I continue to watch what's going on in our world. And I can only imagine what she's going through and how she's helping people. As I mentioned in the introduction, teaching at Cedar is part of your current responsibilities, but you also work at Dayton Children's 
and Crossroads Hospice. What's a typical day for you, um, maybe at Dayton's Children's? How much time do you spend at Dayton Children and compared to coming and teaching here at Cedarville? Sure. So I work at Dayton Children's Hospital third shift weekends. So a typical night for me would be to come in either at 10 p.m. or 8 p.m. And then I'll leave at 8 a.m. I work typically by myself after midnight and I respond to any emergent pages, whether that's from the emergency room, from patients admitted on the inpatient units and meeting the the needs of families identified through the care team. How long have you been teaching at Cedarville? I'm in my seventh year in the academic division. Because And before that, you were in the counseling department. That's right. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, what, you came probably, what, 2011, 2012? I came in August of 2014. So as a social worker, um, again, we've, we've talked about this. You, you see a lot of different um, scenarios um, that um, are, are difficult. And you, and you mentioned um, about your faith. So how does your faith in Jesus really carry you day to day when you're dealing with tough situations? It changes everything about how I see circumstances from why the Lord saw fit that our paths would cross, how I assess people. I think that my faith allows me to be more compassionate and less judgmental. It allows me to refrain from judgment and to see myself as just planting a seed. I may not see that seed come to fruition, but I have the opportunity to serve someone in a very vulnerable, difficult time. And the Lord has given me a front row seat in my profession to do that. So when did you put your faith in Jesus? So I remember it was March 11th, 1991. I woke up and I realized immediately my sisters had both been saved on Halloween a couple years prior, and they had talked about how they were going to heaven And that morning I woke up and I knew that I was not saved. So I ran out to the kitchen. I told my mom I needed to be saved right now. (laughs) I, I was a pretty demanding child, so I needed to be saved right now. And so after breakfast, she showed me scripture and led me to the Lord. And I think that was, I think I did have very childlike faith. I understood my need for a savior, that I was a sinner and my sin separated me from God. But I grew up in a Christian home. I, I was very involved with church. My parents were walking with the Lord. That was part of our everyday life. But I don't think that I really had much desire to honor the Lord until I was in high school. And actually, I came to Cedarville for, at the time, it was a conference called The Blowout, and Ken Rudolph was speaking in his the topic for the weekend was no more pretending. And that's when I realized that I had essentially a lot of work to do that the Lord had saved me, but I was not walking with him and I needed to make some changes in my life. What's really memorable about that conference, in addition to really pondering what Ken Rudolph had said is I was very kind of introverted in the bus on the way home. And I was thinking about the changes that I needed to make in my life and One of my friends at the time came and sat by me and we weren't really close friends. We had been friends on and off throughout um, junior high and high school. And he came and he sat by me and kind of asked what was wrong and why did I seem so somber? We had, we spoke for hours and hours about what the Lord had been teaching me in this conference and the changes that I needed to make in my life. And that friend is now my husband and he's been my best friend ever since then. When did you guys get married? 
December 29th, 2007. 2007. And, and that's a good segue because actually, uh, as we move toward the conclusion of the program, I want to talk about your family and as well that you guys are foster parents. First of all, about foster parenting, what prompted you guys to decide you want to go down that path with a, with a child? Going back to how we got connected to the little boy um, that we are hosting in our home right now, my husband and I had received an extravagant, generous gift. And we were thinking about how we could use our our new home to really serve other people. And just a few months after we moved into the home, someone uh, that I had actually gone to Cedarville with in social work had posted in our church Facebook page that one of her foster parents on her caseload is a host parent for this organization and uh, that works with children who are burned and have medical necessities to come to the United States for surgery. And she posted, is there anyone that would be willing to host a child over the summer and, you know, meet his medical needs? Well, I had worked in medical social work. I was going to be off over the summer my husband and I talked about it, prayed about it, and he was connected with us within the next week, and he arrived in May of that year. That would have been May of 2015. He stayed for a little over a year, went back home to China for several years, and then came back in May of 2019, and he's been with us ever since. And what's the, what's the long-term process? Is there, a few, is there a plan in place with this child? Yeah, um, he goes by the name Joey and Joey uh, is from China and the the challenge with sending him back right now is quarantine restrictions. So he does have parents and grandparents that love him very, very much and do want him home. <laughs> uh, but essentially the quarantine guidelines in China restrict him from his ability to go back. Okay. So you'll keep him until he can go back basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it going to be uh, when Joey goes back to China? It will be difficult for us. You know, we, we love him. We want what's best for him. We're attached to him. We've known and my children have known this whole time that he would be going back to his family. But for especially my youngest daughter, she probably doesn't remember much life without him. So it will be difficult. I don't know the challenges we'll experience at that time, but my heart grieves because I think it will be more difficult for him. As you know, um, part of the Cedarville culture is uh, placed importance placed on fostering and adopting, and so um, you you fall right into that uh, mindset, and uh, that's commendable. And um, I'm sure that the the days you still have with Joey will be will be great times for for you as well as your children. So you know, as I move down, probably to my last question or two, um, I know you have three children, Melissa. What are some of the favorite ways that you are able to fully enjoy your family and maintain a good work-life balance? Because you're busy. You're, you're working on the weekends. You're, you're working at Cedarville. Uh, you have a lot going on. How do you keep that work-life balance? What do you guys like to do as a family? So we really, we do enjoy spending time together. My kids are six, seven, and nine. And how I have work-life balances when I'm home, I'm home. I try to not check my email or be on my phone. I try to not uh, do too much grading, at least when the kids are awake anyway. And I try to have my home really be my sanctuary once I'm there. We enjoy doing a lot of um, outside activities in the summer together. We have a pool membership in our neighborhood. That's one of my favorite 
things about Cedarville is the summer's off. I love working with students. I also love that I get to have time away in the summer to be completely connected with my children. So we spend a lot of time outside. My husband enjoys uh, smoking meat and we love grilling out and just spending a lot of time outdoors when the summer comes. We play quite a bit of board games. Let me just say I have a running streak with sorry. My children, it seems like can never beat me. My don't, husband, you let them be, don't, don't, <laughs> don't you let them uh, win? No, no, no. They need to learn something out of that, right? <laughs> that's Yes, that's right. And I don't want to shortchange the learning process. It helps them learn strategy. It helps them learn how to problem solve and the best, the best strategy. We play Clue together. We really like playing charades. Maybe my husband doesn't, but my kids do. And it is so fun to watch kids act out the most bizarre. Like Joey had the word fork and trying to watch him act out fork was just, it's fantastic. I, I'm going to start laughing just thinking about it right now. Melissa, uh, we are out of time on the podcast, but, uh, I want to ask you a question. I ask most people that at the heart of the Cedarville Stories podcast, our purpose is to tell Cedarville stories for God's glory. How are you bringing God glory through your life? I try to bring glory to the Lord in everything that I do. I think of 1 Corinthians 10 when it references that in everything that we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God. So whether that's grading papers even spending time with students in advising sessions, um, spending time with my children. I think the way that we glorify the Lord is in our everyday walk. When I was a student, Dr. Brown was the president. He used to say that a faithful life is composed of faithful days, which turned into faithful weeks that turns into faithful months and faithful years. And I've always remembered that, that um, even I was reading about Noah this morning in my devotional and Noah demonstrated obedience for over a hundred years. And as he built the ark and a faithful life is not just a couple of huge decisions, although it might feel like that sometimes, but it's being faithful to the Lord and his calling in your life every single day. Yeah. That's, that's a, uh... That's well said. Melissa, thanks for, for sharing uh, that insight on being um, uh, focused, uh, disciplined day in, day out, because that's what uh, God calls us to do is to live in the moment for his, for his purpose and his glory. And you're obviously doing that here at Cedarville. Uh, I want to thank you for um, the work you do here at, at the university and really for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's Cedarville Stories podcast. Please join us on the road at the Transform Tour this summer. We are coming to Milwaukee, San Diego, Tampa, Lancaster, and many more. Check out cedarville.edu forward slash transform tour to learn more. See you soon.